Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Absolutely. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, drive, float, fly, you are in absolutely the right place. So let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Wikipedia of all places. Listen up. The term experience economy was first used in a 1998 article by B. B. Period, Joseph Pine II and James H. Gilmore, describing the economy after the agrarian economy, the industrial economy, and the most recent service economy. Businesses must orchestrate memorable events for customers. That memory becomes the product or the quote-unquote experience. So I will say to all of you, welcome to the experience economy, where experience-based services are definitely driving economic growth in so many industries. When you think of experience, you think of transportation, you think of hospitality, you think of consumer products, you think of entertainment, but it's much more than that. So to our listeners around the world, we know you are in business. You either own, manage, lead, or thinking about starting your own company or your industry analysts or somebody to do with with something that's being produced, how your business manages and uses your customer data is becoming as important as your products and services. Get that message into your head. That's what we're talking about today. But how can you do it right? Well, we think a cloud-first approach can help accelerate your cycle times. It's all about getting there on time. Focus on your strategic competencies. Uh huh. Improve your scalability. Think about growth and bigger and bigger and bigger innovation part of the whole thing, and allowing your customers, ooh, to pay only for services they use. How evolutionary. I have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this all out. Let's see what they have to say. I'll tell you who they are and their companies, and then I'm going to invite each panelist to introduce himself. We have three gentlemen today. So Ethan Jewett at Mindset Consulting, LLC. We'll speak to him in a moment. Craig Stasselup, been on Game Changers Radio several times with me over the years, and Chris Poxtis also. Chris, Chris and Craig also at SAP. So our topic today is Journey to the Cloud, Powerful Business Outcomes for the Experience Economy. I am Bonnie D. Graham, happy to be here, and let's get started. Ethan Jewett, you're a newcomer to Game Changers. Would you please tell us who you are and what's your passion for this topic? Go ahead, Ethan. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. Um, so yeah, again, I'm Ethan Jewett. Um, I'm a senior SAP architect at Mindset Consulting, and um, we we and I have done a lot of work for about 15 years in SAP and non-SAP technology areas, um, really kind of bringing SAP, SAP and non-SAP technology to uh, newer and better ways of, of doing things. And that includes cloud, among a lot of other things. Um, and so my passion for the area is really helping, um, helping companies, customers to improve the way that they work um, in their IT and in their business. Um, so that can mean a lot of things, and I think for every customer we find and I find that uh, it really ends up being a sort of customer-specific approach. It depends on the business. It depends on the structure of the company. Um, and I think we're going to talk a lot about those types of questions and how specific um, companies and specific organizations will want to approach a move to the cloud. Um, as you mentioned, Cloud First is really w- – probably one of the best strategies, and I think we're going to get into that um, pretty deeply. Um, 
outside of all that, um, I, you know, I have, I have a family. I have a couple of kids. Um, I live in northern United States, and it's, it's becoming spring, so that's really exciting. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to um, talking about those topics on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you. And, Ethan, I have a question. Mindset Consulting, that's a fascinating name for a company. Uh, I don't Isn't know it? if you, you were the founder, but who – Mindset. We talk about mindset. What's your mindset? And going into this, what's your mindset? It's just – it's a buzz, and it's a powerful one. Who named the company, and what does Mindset Consulting stand for? Is it is it an abbreviation for yeah. something, or is it just a really big concept? Talk to me for a second. No, it's, a, it's the big concept piece. So our, our founder, Gavin Quinn, came up with the name. Um, and the idea is just that the way that you approach user experience, and that is our focus, is user experience, mm-hmm. especially on SAP platforms, um, is all about mindset. And specifically, uh, you know, we take a design thinking approach, and the mindset has to be what is the point of view of the user, um, what are the needs of the, of the customer and of the user. Um, Lately, though, we've really started to branch out to thinking about what is it, what is it like to develop and manage these platforms, um, and so we're taking that mindset as well now. And so, that that concept of taking the mindset, getting into the shoes um, of the other person, mm-hmm. is is really key. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Welcome, and we appreciate your participation today. Let's move one seat around the table to Craig Stassel. Welcome back, Craig. It's been a little while. Why don't you tell everybody what you do in your work, and what's your passion for this topic, Craig? Sure. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks Mm -hmm. for keeping my seat warm. It uh, is nice (laughs) and comfy, just as I remember it. Uh, So uh, my name is Craig Stassel. I'm currently part of uh, the SAP Cloud Platform Strategy Team. Uh, I have been just in that role for a few months now, so I'm still kind of getting used to that role. But prior to joining the SAP Cloud Platform Strategy Team, uh, I had a whole host of uh, different, uh, you know, uh, things that I was doing inside of the industry, whether it be, uh, you know, working in a pre-sales organization, uh, working at direct customers, uh, working for consulting organizations like Mindset Consulting, uh, doing all sorts of different works in the IT space, and not to tip my hat and, and let everybody know how old or young I am, but uh, <laughs> I've been in the ecosystem for about uh, 22 years now. And, uh, you know, back when I started, uh, you know, in 1998, uh, the, you know, the big thing was Y2K. That's what everybody was mm-hmm. worried about. And it quickly went from Y2K to uh, the web and the Internet boom and have been, you know, going and riding all of those new technology waves and cycles ever since. So my passion really is all about uh, trying to understand these really big problems, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Not only at uh, the big strategy level, but then communicating that down at the technical level, right? So how does the strategy of cloud first or hybrid deployments or we'll pick whatever, or even Y2K, right? Uh, how does that actually affect the, the bits and bytes end of it? And then how do the complexities down at those technical levels need to affect the strategy as well. And so I've always been kind of stuck in that middle area of really understanding the strategy and and trying to uh, think strategically and act strategically, but having a good grounding in the the bits and the bytes level and trying to be that go-between between the two so those two different uh, groups can actually have a cogent conversation with each other. 
Thank you very much, Craig. As you were speaking about Y2K, I actually wrote a romantic comedy play about on the approaching Y2K, and two people meet and wonder whether they're even going to survive. And now I'm thinking it's why not 2K, and then it was, what, 2020, and now it's here, and we're almost a quarter of the way through the first year of the new year, the new decade, and it's just Time traveling is very fast, and we're all part of that. Thank you, Craig. I'm glad to keep your seat warm anytime. Welcome back whenever you want to drop in. Happy to have you. Let's move around the table to Chris Poxtis. I'm going to spell your last name for everybody in case they want to look you up. P-A-U-X-T-I-S. He told me it's pronounced exactly the way it's spelled. Chris, welcome, and why don't you tell us what you're doing these days and what your passion is for this topic. Chris? Um, Sure. The the first thing, Bonnie, is... uh... (laughs) Not to give away my age, but one of my first uh, uh, jobs, I had to do a major risk assessment for Y Y two K, which is oh uh, my. <laughs> my, my, my might give away my age unintentionally, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> we don't talk ages here. We wouldn't dare. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> similar to Craig, um, I had a background as a consultant, customer, and uh, various roles, and and in, within those roles is where I found a passion for. Uh, wanting to make software better. Um, enterprise software is something mm-hmm. that I would be more inclined to use. And that has been my mission. And it continues to be my mission. And I get really excited about cloud technologies, and especially some of the cloud-native technologies that allow a business to really fundamentally change how they operate. Now, that comes with some wonderful things and also comes with some challenges that I'm sure we'll get into. Thank you very much, Chris. I have to tell you, I was uh, programming. I was a programmer analyst, I'll say, back in the day, and this is going to give you all a clue so you can stop talking about your ages. I was programming in COBOL on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 for the state of Oregon Community <laughs> College Division back in the <laughs> days, and I was key right, punching. Bonnie, you got us on that one. I was key punching. There you go. There you, there you go. And then I graduated to an IBM 4341 doing PL1. Does that date anybody? Did I win? <laughs> Chris, Chris, welcome. You want to win that one? You want to win that one, Bonnie? Well, you know, that's that's true. That's true. But you know what? You're only as young as you can remember your programming languages and saving the green bar paper and remembering where your COBOL book is. That's all I'm going to say. And I was a fabulous programmer. What can I say? Gentlemen, I'm so happy to have you here. This is the part of the show where I have asked each of my esteemed panelists to send me a quote that's not exactly on the topic, nothing to do with it at all, from a movie, a book, a song, a play, a person famous, not so famous, about to be famous because they're mentioning him or her or it on the show, and they're going to relate the quote to our topic today. We've already had a great introduction to all three. Very happy to have you here, and let's go around the table to Ethan Jewett. And Ethan has sent us a, I think you won the contest, Ethan, for a one-word quote. I don't think we've ever had a one-word quote. We've had a four-word quote, hey-ho, let's go, from the Blitzkrieg bot by the Ramones. Interesting quote, but you sent a one-word, and I found the clip from the movie. I'm not going to give the word yet. The clip is from The Princess Bride by William Goldman. It's a 1973, talk about back in the day, Ethan, 1973 fantasy romance novel by American writer William Goldman. The book combines comedy, adventure, fantasy, romance, drama, and a fairy tale. It's presented as an abridgment of a longer work by S. Morgenstern, and Goldman's commentary asides are constant throughout it. Anyway, this about the book. The book was adapted in 1987 
14 years later as a feature film directed by who else? Rob Reiner from a screenplay that Goldman wrote himself. So here is the one word, and I'm going to say the word, Ethan, and then I'm going to give the word that comes up that comes up after he says it. Okay, I have I have found the movie clip. The word is inconceivable, and the line is he didn't fall inconceivable and the response from one of the actors is you keep using this word i do not think it means what you think it means and the answer is my god he's climbing so i hope i didn't overdo this but ethan tell us how did you pick the word inconceivable i love it talk to me (laughs) so i mean um this is really a a sort of formative movie and and book for me so uh, I, i go back to it a lot but um i think that the and i'm really glad by that you sort of outlined a little bit of the, of the context of the quote because it's really important that what's going on in the movie and in the book at this time is that this, this guy, Vicini, who is, keeps saying inconceivable as, as one thing after another happens that he has considered to be impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's sort of the, the bad guy mastermind uh, in, the, in, the, um, in the plot. And um, he just can't, he doesn't get it that like, that he's dealing with something that's different than what he's dealt with before. And that, um, has significantly different properties than what he expects and what he himself and his team that he's assembled can do. Um, it, it really is applicable to a lot of situations. I think with a lot of the companies that I end up working with, um, it's, it's about more a design driven development approach, but it really fits perfectly for cloud as well, because, um, it's very difficult to conceive what it's like to operate in a um, in a sort of cloud first or cloud mostly um, landscape and the types of synergies and process um, changes and value that can be unlocked um, in that sort of working environment. Um, so until you actually see it happen, uh, it's something that doesn't really make sense to most people and certainly didn't to me um, when I first came to that to that. Uh, that working style. So it's just a sort of warning about the approach we all tend to take, I think, um, when we see something new that's different from what we've worked on before, from how we've worked before, that um, our first reaction, mine certainly, is usually, I don't believe it. I, I, I can't believe that what is being promised here is possible. And to be fair, sometimes that is correct, but sometimes it's incorrect. And it's those times when it's when it's not right, when it actually is possible to work in a different way, that we need to um, sort of reevaluate our assumptions and change the way we're behaving. Otherwise, we end up like Vicini, and no one wants that. There you go. Thank you very much. And I watched the clip, and I was surprised to see that Wallace Shawn is the actor who plays Vizzini, and he is now a uh, yes. mad scientist, a quantum scientist on Young Sheldon, the, the sitcom that is the follow-up to The Big Bang Theory, where Sheldon is a 10 or 11-year-old boy who's already in high school, and he be, he's befriended by this professor played by Wallace Shawn. So that's an interesting throwback for me, not having – I never saw The Princess Bride. I think I have to watch it. Thank you, Ethan. Wonderful. Wonderful quote. Appreciate that. And how fun to have a one word quote. Craig has sent us much more than a one word quote. It's actually a line. These are great quotes, gentlemen. A line from Float Trip by MU330. MU330 is the fourth studio album by the American ska punk band MU330, released on Asian Man Records in 1999. Talk about a throwback. This quote from Float Trip, which, by the way, Craig, is two minutes and ten seconds long and is number 12 on the album, okay, and all songs were written and composed by Dan 
Pothast, P-O-T-T-H-A-S-T. Okay, here's the line that Craig wants to talk about today. I know there's a part of me that doesn't jump so easily. Each day I try to remind myself that the guy who's scared is someone else. I can't sing it, Craig, but could you? No, no, I could not. (laughs) Uh, There's there's a reason I went into IT. Uh, A little known fact about me is... When I started university, college, uh, I was a music major because I wanted to get into recording, music recording, and uh, quickly realized that uh, music recording also requires a lot of music skills, which I was sorely lacking in. So I was like, I'll just do the computer-y part of all of this stuff. But uh, so the the quote, uh, to go back to that, uh, is all about uh, this this one experience that... that, uh, I really remembered it's it's seared into my memory from around this time, and it was a uh, a trip that I, I took to uh, Lake Superior. So I, I grew up in uh, Wisconsin, and there was a trip all the way up to Lake Superior, and I was going to go with some of my friends, and for one reason or another, my friends had to back out, and I went on this trip all by myself, and. Oh. Uh, it was one of these things where I could have backed out as well, but, you know, I had already paid the money. I was already scheduled to go. So I went to this trip to, to Lake Superior, and I met up with some other people that were on this bus, and we get to Lake Superior, and they're like, all right, well, you can do whatever you want for the next four hours. And I'm like, well, this is, what are we supposed to do? So they had some other things, you know, different things that you could do there. But uh, my friend, the, the, the newly found friends that I met on the, the bus and I decided, well, we're in Lake Superior. Let's go swimming in it. Well, you know, it was, a, it was a nice summer day in Wisconsin, like one of the very few that they get that was actually warm. So we get to this rock outcropping that's about maybe 20 to 30 feet up in the air above this, the, the clearest water you've ever seen. You can see straight down to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I just remember having so much fear and apprehension about jumping over the edge uh, into this, you know, water. And as soon as I hit that water, it's freezing. It is really cold. Uh, you know, it, it was maybe 60 some odd degrees water, which uh, is, is way too cold to be swimming in. Uh, but it was an amazing time. I absolutely loved it. It was uh, new experiences, new friends trying new things, you know, being scared, being apprehensive, not necessarily wanting to do it, and then just going ahead and and jumping in head first. And how that relates to the experience economy (laughs) is uh, when I came back from that trip, it was all I could talk about, right? And I told everybody about it. I said, and here we are, you know, 20-some-odd years later, I'm still talking about it. And, you know, I, I will say to anybody listening right now, if you ever get a chance to uh, jump into Lake Superior, do it. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, and, you know, back 20 years ago, um, there was no way to capture, you know, this, my sentiment, right? It was solely mm-hmm. by word of mouth. And as, I'm sure as we will discuss later on through, throughout the rest of this conversation today, uh, that's not how it is anymore, right? So having passion for an experience, uh, being able to share your experience, whether they be um, amazing, like like my you know uh, cold water experience was, mm-hmm. or, or terrible, uh, that's really what the experience economy is all about: is sharing this this human connection. And, and we really can't forget that uh, experience 
the experience economy is all about that, that human connection. Craig, I'm almost in tears. That was so beautifully put at the end there. <laughs> Thank you. And we're all shivering from your cold water experience. I trust that Ethan and Chris are both shivering with me. Brr! Thank you very much. Great anecdote. And I appreciate that. And Chris, speaking of you, let's go around one more seat around the table to you. And you've sent us a serious quote, but an absolutely beautiful one from Marshall B. Rosenberg, PhD. He lived from 1934 to 2015. He was the founder and director of educational services for the Center for Nonviolent Communication. He had to find a way, his quest was to find a way of disseminating peacemaking skills. Interesting. It emerged out of his work with civil rights activists in the 1960s, and he mediated between rioting students and college administrators and worked to peacefully desegregate public schools in long segregated regions. Very interesting. Uh, his work was, he let's see, he provided nonviolent communication training in 60 countries. Busy guy with a passion for something. And uh, Craig, I think we can say that this was certainly his version of the experience economy is how do we keep people more at peace with themselves and each other. So Chris, here's the quote you selected. What I want in life is compassion a flow between myself and others based on a mutual giving from the heart. Chris, that's lovely. Tell me how you picked the quote and what does it have to do with our topic today? Um, sure. Uh, so, so first, uh, I picked the quote because embracing Dr. Rosenberg's teachings um, early in life would have helped me professionally and personally um, be more impactful. And, you know, it's kind of a, a bone out there to a young person saying, hey, you might have some good thoughts, but uh, that human element is, is, is critical that, that Craig talked about. Or even, I like how Ethan mentioned inconceivable. Like, sometimes you might block an idea just because it's not yours or something. Like, you just, you know, this is really important to, to tie to embrace people. Now, to tie it to the larger topic, not to get a little bit blah, blah, but we all know that organizations are racing to become more digital and more optimized. And it's a crazy race, mm-hmm. and if you're not in that race, you, you get a chance to be disrupted or not helping your constituents or, you know, whatever your organization does. And we also know about exponential data growth and the powerful impacts of of cloud technologies. What what I think gets missed is like, okay, um, you know, the largest impact to to enterprise software might be these cloud technologies and and the largest impact to the business in general, at least in in, in my career that that I've seen. And, And then when I look at all these kind of forces touching each other, the people process and change management to, to really adopt digital transformation within organization, that hasn't, like, improved at the rate of exponential data grades or the rate of the, the technologies available to you. So, you know, everything else around it is moving too fast, and then that the skills, the team of skills aren't, um, you know, improving fast enough, in my opinion. And then, you know, to back this up, you see studies like Project Aristotle, um, you know, one of the large tech companies did to remind us that psychological safety of team members is critical to open discussion and better outcomes. And, you know, for thus, if you start with compassion, you have a much better chance of uh, reaching your, you know, you instill that into your teammates. They will solve problems much better. And if they're not solving problems, you're in trouble. Um, hopefully that makes sense how it all ties. 
It sure does. Thank you so much, Chris. I love the quote, and I appreciate I've never heard of Marshall Rosenberg, and now I have. I always love to be educated and enlightened. I think we're going to take a break now because we're almost at the halfway point, and my three panelists have been working so hard sharing their thought leadership and their knowledge. And our topic, if you're just tuning in, this is Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. This is Season 7, and it's such a powerful series because our listeners around the world have made it popular. We're so happy to reach all of you on the business channel here on Voice America Radio World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Our topic today is Journey to the Cloud. Oh, yes. Powerful business outcomes for the experience economy. We're speaking with three experts. We have Ethan Jewett at Mindset Consulting. I still love the name of your company. Craig Stasela at SAP. I still love the name SAP. And Chris Poxas. We're going to take a quick break. So I used to say, don't even... Even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Craig, you remember that. But now I'm going to say one word like my favorite host on NPR Radio says, stay. We'll be right back. Aaron, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. We're talking about a very important topic, Journey to the Cloud, Powerful Business Outcomes for the Experience Economy. That title of today's episode is so packed with not only buzzwords, but important thought leadership topics for our audience around the world. I have to do a shout out to Dana Corder and Marsha Malinowski behind the scenes who work with Ira Burke, at who is a sponsor of Internet of Things with Game Changers back for their seventh season. Ladies, you do a wonderful job putting together great topics and panelists like on today's show, and I appreciate your work very much. We're speaking today with Ethan Jewett at Mindset Consulting, LLC, Craig Stassel at SAP. Chris Poxtus at SAP. So we're going to kick off the roundtable now with a statement that Ethan Jewett sent me before the show. I'll read a little bit of the statement, and then I'll invite Ethan to expand it, unpack it, as they say on the news shows, talk about two and a half minutes or so, and then I'll invite Craig and then Chris in to comment and add their thought leadership to Ethan's topic 
Then we'll pick a topic from Craig, one from Chris, and keep it going. So here's what Ethan Jewett told me before the show. He said, many of the benefits of modern software delivery models are synergistic. The next sentence is very long, Ethan, so I'm just going to let you unpack this for us. Please go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, Manny. No problem. So, yeah, what I'm getting at there is is kind of jumping off from what Chris was saying earlier, that um, just doing one thing, whether it's in the people process or technology area, or sometimes I talk about development management operations, um, isn't always going to get us very far. So um, if we take the cloud example, and our end goal is is improving user experience, uh, you know, on the user, on the experience economy topic, if we just move to the cloud and keep doing everything else the same, um, we will probably see some benefits, but we're not going to see a ton. Um, And so what we also need to do is look at changing the way that we work, our practices, and changing the processes that we have in place to match that new paradigm, that sort of cloud-native approach. And that can be really challenging for um, enterprise companies where software is not their primary focus. Um, it's something that we see a lot of, we see a lot of benefits for what we would t- talk about as cloud native companies, um, the sort of internet companies that we all look to as far as adopting cloud, whether it's Microsoft or Google or Amazon or many, many of the smaller companies. Um, those, these types of benefits sort of accrue more naturally for those companies because um, they're on the cloud technologically, but they also have work patterns and processes in place that really um, really benefit from that flexibility that they get from the cloud on a technology level. So in enterprise IT scenarios, um, I find that we often have to look, yes, to the technology piece. That's often the easy part. Um, we can just kind of lift and shift oftentimes and move to the cloud. But we also need to look at the way that we work. Um, and how we're actually working in a more agile way and in a more cloud-focused way and breaking down some of the barriers, whether that's waterfall-based development or from a management perspective, um, not taking into account some of the flexibility we have. So that's what I try to look at and understanding that just doing the one thing is not necessarily going to get us all the benefits that we're really looking for. Thank you very much. Good provocative statement there. Let's see what Craig Stasla has to say. Craig, please join us and add your commentary. Sure thing. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with Ethan's assertion that uh, as important as the technology is when it goes, when, when we're talking about uh, moving to the cloud, uh, the equally as important, and I would actually say the vastly more important uh, component of this is the the human change management concept uh, because, uh, as Ethan said, it's one thing to uh, have a, a technology lift and shift to the cloud, uh, mm-hmm. but until you start to change those processes and change the skills that the, the people have that are actually executing those processes, uh, all you're doing is, uh, you know, replicating the same, uh, we'll say, on-premises type of uh, models uh, in the mm-hmm. cloud. And that is not where you're going to get your values of speed, right? That's not where you're going to get the, the, the agility. That's not where you're going to get, uh, you know, the, those, the, the innovation and all the other qualities that people expect to extract from a cloud-first or cloud-native uh, architecture, those things are, are almost doomed to fail if there's not going to be 
the, the corresponding uh, skill change management and also process change management because uh, that is actually what is going to reap the benefits or allow any enterprise to reap the benefits out of a cloud-first uh, strategy. Thank you very much. Chris Poxtis, love to have you join us. Thoughts? Um, I, I would just, uh, you know, of course, I, I agree with these. And just to make it more real, um, you know, I've seen organizations adopt, you know, DevOps cultures. And what they did in the past compared to a DevOps culture was they would have a team maybe build an application and then a team support it. And then this team that was supporting it would work with end users and try to, like, continue the life cycle of the app. And the, 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 the team that built it would go build another app. And, 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 you know, looking at that over time and then seeing, you know, hearing their reaction to, oh, wait, we kind of moved to this DevOps things where you kind of make it, you own it. And then the way you build products to adapt to what the end user wants because it's your problem. Um, not just handing it off. Even just simple things like that from a change management process can have huge impacts, maybe not on your first app or second app, but you start stringing together, you know, years of applications together built that way. Um, I, I think it can be quite dramatic. Thank you very much. Ethan, anything you'd like to add to what your co-panelists shared just a moment ago? I think we're all in uh, in strong agreement, it sounds like, and I think that we all have slightly different ways of saying the same thing and approaching it. And I think, I think that is really valuable to take different, um, to take different angles on the same topic. Um, I, I would just, again, um, stress that, that we can't expect that just undertaking a technology change um, in platform is going to reap the benefits that we hope to gain from a, from a cloud First approach. So we really need to look to those other areas. Um, I, I think all three of us like talking about technology, and, and um, I think a lot of people in our industry do, but we have to look at the people and at the process areas as well um, really deeply and change the way our companies work. Thank you, Ethan. Appreciate that and all. And Craig, I'm looking at your notes, and here's something I'd like to talk about next. We're going to go from technology back into process, keeping with the tech focus. You say capturing meaningful customer experience data is very difficult because so many factors come into the entire customer experience. So let's talk about data, and we've talked about this on, on several of my other Game Changers shows, Craig, in terms of you've got all this data pouring in. Do you want it? Is it the right data? What do you do with it? How do you capture it? How do you store it? How do you analyze it? How do you get that meat off those bones? How do you make it into something valuable and ultimately actionable? So, Craig, let's dive into this one. I love the topic. Go ahead. Yeah, you, you definitely summed up the problem uh, very well. So, Thank you. I, again, with this experience economy and, and, and trying to understand the, the full experiences and, and me talking about, you know, my, my Lake Superior swimming experience, you know, what was it about that particular experience that made it great? And I'll be honest, I don't know, right? I, even 20, you know, 20 some odd years later, uh, I talk about all the great things about it, but I don't understand uh, at, a, at a deep level what makes that experience stick with me for these 20 years, right? Um, Ultimately, it probably was the novelty of the, the entire situation, but, uh, you know, it, it's really hard to, to tease that out. So as we are working with, uh, you know, the, the actual end consumers 
of whatever it is our company happens to be dealing with, you know, the, the experiences that they're giving back could be tainted because of, you know, things happening in the environment that are, you know, external to the actual experience itself, right? Uh, you know, I've been to uh, a, st- a store, I was in a, a mall, that's a few years ago now, because uh, I was actually in a mall. I don't remember the last time I stepped foot in a mall, but uh, <laughs> I, was, I was about to purchase uh, a gift for my wife at when the uh, fire alarm started to go off, right? And, you know, it was just one of these things where I um, was trying to decide what I had to, you know, what wanted to buy, and I had to get out of the store, right? And that, mm-hmm. and I never actually went in to finish buying the, whatever it was that I was going to buy for her. Uh, so, uh, long story short, uh, I, I didn't get her anything for her birthday, uh, and oh. she got upset at me. Uh, uh, but <laughs> so all of that was a bad experience. Now, would I chalk that up to you know the the retailer? No, that had no. absolutely nothing to do with with them. But it was, still was a, a bad experience, one that they don't, couldn't necessarily control. So as we start to bring all this together, you know, um, the, the challenge to, to tease that data out, right, to get that meat off that bone is really difficult. And uh, the more data points that you have, uh, the somewhat easier it is and the, the better insights that you can get. But it still is a very messy, noisy, uh, you know, uh, landscape from which you are trying to uh, get that experience information and extract that and distill that down into, uh, as you said, Bonnie, actionable items uh, that, mm-hmm. that we can do. Uh, it's, a, it's very challenging, and uh, it's not something that you're going to get right right away, and it's something you're going to have to iterate on over and over again. Thank you very much. Uh, who's next around the table? Who we got? Ethan, are you next? Uh, sure, yeah. So I, Go ahead. I think that's a great way to... So I think that's a great way to approach the the, the problem is that from that user experience perspective, um, and it really gets us into those discussions about how we're how we're structuring our, our business and how our people are approaching the issue. And I mean, to Chris's point earlier, it it gets into how we're structuring our teams. Are we making sure that the people who are developing the experience are really integrated into the customer's experience? So while our teams may not be able to do anything about the fire alarm going off. And in fact, mm-hmm. that may be an overall benefit. Um, are we taking that sort of thing into account? And are we, um, are we designing our experience so that um, our customers can actually uh, deal with unexpected situations perhaps? So when we're building software for our organizations and we're looking at moving our software to the cloud, um, what impact does that have on user experience? Does it allow us to um, to be more flexible, to iterate more quickly? So when um, people who are using our or product owners of our end user experience or perhaps the actual um, people using the software come with a, um, a request to change mm-hmm. something, can we deliver that in two weeks or does it take us a year and a half to do so? Um, these are key questions, and that's something that moving to cloud can actually enable, um, and that can unlock huge value because a lot of the a lot of the sort of stasis that we get into, um, especially in enterprise IT, is based on our inability to deliver change quickly. And if 
we can deliver change quickly, then it becomes much more valuable. That thing that was requested two years ago is probably no longer relevant at all, whereas if we can deliver that change in two weeks, it could deliver great business value. Great point. Thank you. Chris Poxis, I am jumping back over. Ethan, back around to you on the table. Join us. What are your thoughts on what we're talking about now, please? Um, well, I just kind of thought of this while we were talking in that, you know, one of the things I look about you know, tying in experience, economy and experience data is that we're getting really good at structured and semi-structured data and doing all these things and now AI has, has come a long way and, and those things are all wonderful. But um, I still think that there's a fundamental problem out there between correlation and causation. Um, a buddy of mine has turned me on to Judea Pearl's work, and, you know, I, I'm beginning to understand it. It's a little bit beyond me. I'm trying to get up in there. But, but you know, what struck me is um, I think experience data is a lot of times that missing link to, to really understand causality because um, we're really good at finding correlations, but... I think we can do better at causality, and, and I think experience data is one of those missing links to uh, solve that, and, and I'm interested in, in delving into that further um, Thank in, you. in my career. Um, Thank you very much, Chris. Appreciate that. Craig, you want to wrap that one up? Because I have some comments here in Chris's list I want to get to. We have plenty of time left. Craig, anything you want to add to what Ethan and Chris added? No, I, I mean, um, again, to Ethan's point, uh, when when Ethan was talking, I think we're in almost violent agreement here uh, with <laughs> with how what this challenge is, right? And whether it be uh, you know the fact that we have a, a challenge of linking uh, if, it, if it's correlation or causation, uh, or the fact that uh, sometimes uh, getting that experience information back is takes too long and incorporating that into the actual actual actionable items that are coming out of it could be too long. Uh, really, again, it's, just, it's the same thing. We, we need to iterate faster. Uh, we need to have better quality of information. Uh, and, you know, it's not something that we can, uh, you know, uh, paint to the perfect picture uh, as we go along. It's, it's really about, like, building that airplane as it's in the air. So, um, Thank you very much, gentlemen. Chris, I'm looking at your notes here. Some really interesting topics we haven't really covered yet. So I'm going to go to your statement number three. Uh, you say, simple general rule of thumb from a new investment perspective. If there are good, and you're using the term lowercase XAAS, which is as a service software. Am I correct on that, Chris? As a software yeah. service? Okay. Yeah. If there are good XAAS options, meaning clearly attainable incremental value can be readily achieved, including any needed depreciation of older assets, etc., then first try to use the best XAAS offering, and or at least have a darn good reason, I like that, not to, especially if this function, I'm going to stop there because you're getting technical for me. Why don't you unpack this, Chris Poxis, and tell us what this all means in terms sure. of moving to a cloud-first approach. Go ahead. Yeah, and not to, you know, uh, you know, we're not about to get geeky here, but, you know, we do like to get geeky, but that's not this call. But fundamentally, what I'm seeing in the market, and, 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 you know, fundamentally, people, um, I, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought when I, when I moved my phone. Um, this was the quote about XA as a service. So it goes back to core competency. Mm-hmm. Um, are you driving a competitive advantage with functionality that you're doing within your organization? And if somebody out there provides that as a service that you can practically integrate to, and that isn't a core competency or driving some kind of competitive advantage, 
then I'm going to make the statement of what are you doing? Because uh-huh. like you have limited amount of resources and people and time, and they must be focused on something that differentiates you or something, you know, you know, go hire a, a coder to write, you know, code relative to your business. You know, it'd be silly to go out and buy infrastructure, you know what I mean, in this day and age, you know, unless you're a huge company or something. But, I mean, that's a simple example that I think everyone can understand. And mm-hmm. then as you peel that onion, uh, this equation gets a lot more complicated in um, you're going to have to accept an integration hairball um, because it is a heterogeneous environment. Um, you know, no, there's going to be no one tech stack that, you know, that's everything at a company. So you're going to have these different tech stacks. And then you're going to go into hosting and say, hey, I have this application that's going to need to be hosted for X amount of years. That's okay. But I have this other functionality where I can consume it as a service, and I have no build business building that core competency or owning that in the future. Then it becomes a no-brainer. Um, hopefully that's clear, and, I, and I'd be happy to expand on it. No, that's great. I want to go around the table and get your co-panelists to chime in. So, Ethan Jewett, join us, please. Thoughts on very interesting topic that Chris has introduced. Go ahead, Ethan. Yeah, I think that keeping a focus on core competency is is really important. And for you know, for most of the businesses that I think we all work with, core competency is not information technology, right? It's it's delivering some kind of value to the customer, whether that's CPG or energy or or cars or something like that. Um, and so, usually, doing information technology, doing development, um, hosting applications is is not part of the core competency, but it is integral in some sense to the actual experience that the customers of that company are, are having. Um, so if I go to buy a car, for example, um, I may not actually see the technology platform of the dealer or the car company, but the person that I'm interfacing with is actually dealing with that, and it dictates aspects of, um, of what they can do. So, it, so again, it's, it's important that companies make that distinction and have that put themselves in the shoes of, of their customers. Um, how they actually implement is it, it doesn't matter. So they need to choose the option that is lowest cost and gives them the most ability to, um, to respond to customer needs. And more and more as we go into the future, that means cloud. Um, mm-hmm. As we talked about, it means changing your other pieces of your company as well um, to match cloud. But if you're not on the cloud and you have to have people sort of down in the trenches building servers and, and dealing with metal and that kind of thing, you just can't move as fast and you can't react as fast to customer needs. And so I think that's a key takeaway and, and, the, and one of the main things we get out of focusing on core competency. Thank you very much. Craig, join us. Sure. Uh, so on, on one level, I'm going to agree with both uh, Chris and Ethan here, but on another level, I'm going to disagree. I, I'm totally going to agree with Chris uh, on the, the premise of what his statement was, which when it's, it's net new functionality or, or new competency that you are looking to attain, then yes, going out and looking at uh, you know, cloud or at something as a service is, is generally, I mean, definitely something you should do. Uh, should you go that way? We'll talk about the core competency thing in just a bit. Mm-hmm. But it's very rare that a company or an enterprise is going to say, oh, we are going to get into 
you know, uh, you know, supply chain management. Well, no, they, you've been doing supply chain management uh, basically since you started as a company. Um, so the fact that it's going to be new or brand new is is not necessarily how things really operate, right? Um, so they, there definitely is going to be some sort of a legacy something, whether it be manual paper process or uh, a legacy IT environment or something along those lines, where a a, a rapid shift is sometimes going to be difficult. Again, it goes back to that that people change and, and that skills management component. And then um, to what Ethan was saying, where you have to look at that core competency, I 100% agree with that. But um, where, where I kind of disagree with some of the things that he said is um, where you draw that line of where that core competency is and, and cost always being that, that, that driving factor. Um, there have been some companies that I've had uh, some great lengthy conversations with where uh, based on how they want to have their uh, customer experience to be, they did not want to be um, you know, carving off and delegating really any of the infrastructure build, any of the infrastructure support, or that most importantly for them, that, that SLA that they were going to present to their customers, they did not want to enter into any contractual agreement with any you know, existing cloud company to provide that. That was something that they wanted to own, right? Because that was part, they wanted to, that to be part of their core competency. So while this company is decidedly not an IT organization, uh, that is not how they make the, 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 the vast majority of their uh, revenue, this is something that they identified as, since what we need to look at is that, that end user experience, as Ethan was saying, this is a, a critical path item for us. And it is actually building up our own internal cloud, as it would be, but it's mm-hmm. something that they own, they operate, uh, and they're on the hook to support. Thank you, Craig. Guess what? You have launched us deep into our predictions part of the show. We're now in the crystal ball predictions round. So, Ethan Jewett, you're up first. I'm going to keep you each pleased to 60 seconds so we have time to say thank you to everyone. Ethan Jewett at Mindset Consulting. Look into the future. Ooh, look far into the future. AR, VR, whatever you (laughs) think you're going to see into that cloud that is over all of us now. It's a good cloud. And, Ethan, what do you see coming up the road, down the pike, whatever direction you're looking? Let's say between now and 2025. No pressure. Ethan, 60 seconds. What's your prediction? Go. Yep. So I, uh, I'm really kind of interested in how the whole business model around cloud is is evolving. And so I, I spend a fair amount of time looking at that because I think it's really important for, um, for especially purchasing decisions for customers. And what I see happening and it's already happening to a large degree, is that infrastructure as a service vendors especially are moving more into platform as a service and software as a service, but really the infrastructure as a service and the whole cloud landscape is starting to consolidate into just a few key vendors. Um, And so on top of that are a lot of additional services, but if you're looking to have a to have a primary vendor for your cloud, um, you need to be thinking about what that means and that, what, what that kind of industry consolidation means for, for cloud and where you go to get specific services. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Craig Stassley, you're up next. 60 seconds. What do you see? Uh, I think that sustainability is going to be one of the, if not the most important aspect that is going to drive uh, almost anything that a, 
uh, big organizations are doing uh, strategically, whether it be the um, what I think is going to be the, the coming collapse of the single-use plastic, uh, so plastic bottles, uh, plastic straws, plastic wrap, plastic packaging. I think that, that is, there's going to be a great change, a great reduction in single-use plastic um, starting basically now, but uh, really accelerating through 2025 and beyond. I also think that there's going to be great disruption in our energy sector because everybody's going to be focusing on sustainability. And I will also expect, I mean, it's not necessarily crystal ball because a lot of the, the big cloud providers, uh, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon have all announced sustainability initiatives about being carbon uh, neutral or in some mm-hmm. cases carbon negative. Uh, they all have their own separate timelines on that. But what you're going to see is uh, not only those companies uh, hitting and exceeding those marks, but that also is going to have a, a knockdown effect throughout the entire industry. Thank you very much. And Chris Poxtis, I saved, ooh, 60 seconds for you. What do you see in the future, Chris? Uh, first comment is, Craig, I hope you're right. And B, I got an idea for reusable water bottles in urban areas that we got to discuss separately. But um, what, what I see, one of the things that, that, that um, is more, what I think happening is the emergence of 5G technologies and the emergence of edge compute and the, you know, the continual exponential data growth. Um, I think there's going to be, I'm a firm believer in cloud technologies, but I am not a firm believer in cloud for the future. I think mm. it's going to be a combination of things in some kind of central cloud in the future and things on the edge, especially if they can fit, you know, crazy amounts of data on my cell phone and, you know, have super high-speed connections, why would I feel, you know, I'm going to want to keep that data close to me, you know, especially if it's my data. Like, I'm, you know, so it'll be cloud-native, but I'm not so sure it'll be in the cloud um, as much as, as, as you see people racing to put data yep. in the cloud as the technology landscape changes. Thank you very much, Chris. That's interesting. We like differing opinions on these types of topics. So I appre- I don't know if that was contrarian or just let's take a closer no, no, look. No, no, Appreci- well, no. When I, cloud native is the technology, not necessarily where it is. Very uh, good. And, and cloud, thank you. to me, is not, yeah, yeah. We got to close. Thank you so much. I want to thank again Dana Corder and Marsha Malinowski behind the scenes for working on this, putting together a fabulous panel, a wonderful, very interesting topic. Really appreciate this, Dana and Marsha. And thank you to Ira Burke at SAP for renewing Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio for Season 7, one of our longest-running and most popular shows of all of the Game Changers. We have 46 series under the Game Changers banner. And I want to thank my engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller, at Voice America World Talk. Radio. He has nerves of steel because he, he's my engineer. And I want to say to everyone, here's my call to action. You know what it is already. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for, especially on a trip to the cloud? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Ethan Jewett, just like Craig Stasela, and just like Chris Pox to Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 